0: Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and I'm here for Martha Sullivan as well. This is our third and final book report episode, as Martha and I conclude our September sabbatical and prepare to enter the next semester of the podcast with a fresh roster. I'm really excited for the guests and topics we have lined up for the next few months, and for the little bit of retooling we've done to the structure of the show as well. Uh, So get ready for all of that in one week. However, for now, this week is our last installment of book reports. So, without further ado, here's Martha with her first report.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to another book report by me, one of your intrepid co-hosts. Uh, Today, I would like to talk to you about uh, the fact that I was crying in my car uh, the other day on my ride home while listening to the Moana soundtrack. Uh, Before you get too worried about the crying, I do this a lot. Uh, The soundtrack is one that is very hard for me to listen to without just dissolving into a pile of tears. Um, That movie is amazing, and it's about women supporting each other, and it's about a teen girl... Realizing that only she is the one who has the power to save the world, and it's not because she has any superpowers, it's because of her innate compassion and empathy, and all of those things are, uh, things that really get me. Um, someday I will give a whole TED talk about how Moana is actually about women helping each other, uh, through the aftermaths of, um, I don't want to say domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. Tafiti is an abuse survivor. She was uh, violated by Maui and the only person who could help her was another woman uh, because the only person who could see her pain in a way that was helpful and healing was another woman. Uh, but that's not really what I wanted to talk to you about today. Uh, today I wanted to talk to you about how Listening to that soundtrack and thinking about how much I love Moana and how much I think it's wonderful that by the end of the movie, uh, she gets everything she wants. She gets to lead her people and they, she gets to go and explore the world and she doesn't have to give up one or the other. And we live in a world where a lot of female protagonists, uh, particularly in the world of young adult material, uh, specifically female, if I didn't already say that, um, are forced to pick either between their aspirations and their love interest or their family and their love interest or their aspirations and their family. Like they they typically end up having to give up something uh, in order to get what they want. And I'm tired of this narrative. And it is because I am tired of this narrative that I would like to formally uh, in front of all of you, formally and officially on the record, revise one of my critiques of the Twilight books. Let me walk you through this journey that I had been on. I first read the Twilight books about um, seven or eight years ago, and I read them because I was going through, no, it was less than that. It was six, five or six years ago. I was still in library school, and I read them because they are pretty foundational teen literature books however you want to critique them all of your well most of your critiques are valid um and i ripped through all of them and was mad about them because they're not good books uh but at the time when i was reading them one of the things that really bothered me when i finished was that bella got to have everything she wanted without giving anything up she you know, even being told that vampires can't have babies, like she gets to be a vampire and she gets Edward and she gets a baby, she gets a beautiful family. Uh, she finds out that her daughter uh, will also be, you know, eternally young and hot and beautiful, and she doesn't have to sacrifice anything at the end of the day. And when I first read these, for some reason that struck me as a bad thing. Like she didn't earn her happy ending and she got everything she wanted without having to give anything up and what did she learn and how did she grow and while there are many many valid reasons to criticize the twilight series i would like to revise that particular piece of criticism because i think that too many girls are told that they have to give something up in order to have what they want most and frankly i'm tired of that I think we should be telling girls that they can have it all, that they can have their jobs and families and they might have to work really hard for them, but they shouldn't have to give up one or the other. We don't tell boys that. We are not constantly asking men uh, who have families like, "What about your job?" We are not constantly accusing uh men of being neglectful fathers if they have uh jobs that keep them at work a lot, but for women it's like it's constant, and I'm tired of it. And as I said, I would like to formally retract that particular aspect of my Twilight criticism. Uh, and I would like to thank films like Moana and also like Frozen, because I was thinking about this for Frozen, too, because both Anna and Elsa get everything they want at the end. They don't have to... Elsa doesn't have to give up her powers to stay queen. She doesn't have to be give up being queen... Uh, ultimately, to have it, to being her magical, wonderful self, I think that's fabulous. They get to keep each other. Anna gets Kristoff, uh, um, but yeah, more like that. More movies and more material that show women and girls that they don't have to sacrifice having a family uh, to get the job they want. They don't have to sacrifice being a career person uh, to have a family. They can have one, the other, or both. And this is not even limited to the vast uh, rest of the wide world of experiences that we don't let fictional women or girls have, (laughs) which is not giving the best uh, message to uh, consumers of media. Uh, So that is how that is the story of how crying in my car to Moana made me rethink Twilight. The end. All
0: right. Last Week was Serial Week. Uh, Serial, the podcast phenomenon that sort of launched podcasts uh, even further into the stratosphere back in 2015 at this point, um, is beginning to release its third season. Uh, Season one of Serial was all about the uh, murder trial of Anand Syed, um, at the time a a 10-year-old trial of a person possibly... uh, unfairly convicted of murdering a classmate when he was still 18. Uh, the second season was about Bo Bergdahl, an army private who went AWOL in Afghanistan in 2009 and was captured by uh, the Taliban uh, and was eventually re-captured, released into U.S. Uh, custody. This third season is not about a specific case, which so far I think is really good. Um, Instead, it's about the criminal justice system as a whole, using Cleveland, Ohio as sort of a microcosm for that. Um, Two episodes have been released as of this recording, Tuesday, September 25th, and I already cannot wait for more episodes to drop. Those first two episodes were phenomenal. Um, I think that... Serial, obviously, season one was a phenomenon, very well regarded across the board. Season two, less well regarded. I think it captured less of the popular imagination for ways I can't explain but agree with. Um, A lot of season one sort of stuck in my head. I went down later and listened to um, other podcasts about Anand's uh, case, especially done by um, uh, some of his friends and and legal aides who are helping uh, sort of move his case forward into additional appeals and whatnot, Um, so it's something that I was definitely invested in beyond Simply Serial. Season two, I listened to it all the way through and I can barely remember the ins and outs of it. It didn't stick with me in the same way that season one did. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that is, but so it goes. Season three, like I said, we're two episodes in, and already I think that this is going to stick with me. It is incredibly topical and timely. It's sort of hitting the intersection of um, a lot of important discussions happening in our society about the criminal justice system, uh, about the way that it treats different defendants of different race and class. Um, And it is, I think, yeah, coming at a very good time and... With that high caliber serial, uh, production, um, you know, Sarah Koenig doesn't make bad sh- bad shows apparently, uh, so. The other thing, with with serial, is it sort of spawned a variety of other similar podcasts, and the most famous or infamous of which was S Town, which I definitely listened to all the way through, and enjoyed, but also felt awkward about, um in a few months we're going to be uh actually in about a month one month uh we're going to be having the topic of problematic faves and i think that something like s town is a great example of that where it's a it was a fascinating look at a uh, horologist and and interesting person i guess uh john b Macklemore. um but it was also strange like i think too invasive and too voyeuristic into his life and uh spoilers for a podcast that aired a few years ago and also a real-life event, um, John B. Malcolmore killed himself during the production of the podcast. So the first few episodes were sort of about him and had a lot of him on tape. The latter half was more sort of grappling with his death. Um, however, the whole thing felt like it's it's strange to talk about this as like, Spoilers or like the twist halfway through because, again, this is like real life things that happen to real people, and I think that this is like part of the I don't want to say problem, but part of like the um issues that that come with podcasts like this. Um, serial season one, especially, was investigative and and real time investigative where they were still doing investigations and still trying to figure things out. As they were releasing episodes which really caused a lot of people to sort of become um, amateur sleuths and join in the investigation uh, sort of just the ver- the structure of the the show encouraged that in a way um, not actively but passively and that led to a lot of people being effectively doxed by uh, people listening to the show having their real identities uh, which uh, Sarah Koenig and her crew were careful careful to obscure uh, released into the wild um, Same is true with S-Town, where you have, uh, again, like, it's an interesting look at this person that quickly becomes a sort of immemorium to this person who no longer has the same editorial control that he might have had if he were living through the entirety of the show. Um, And since he did have such a complicated life, it gets a little, you know, problematic. Um, I'm still not entirely sure what to think about it. Like I said, I listened to the entire series so in a way I'm definitely complicit in it um, but it is something that we need to think about, especially because these podcasts did become phenomenon among the NPR listening and podcast listening set. Uh, I recognize the bubble from which I'm speaking in this one. Um, but I, I think that it's it is good journalism and it's very interesting both in terms of the story it's telling and the way that it's telling it. but it comes with a lot of problems that I don't think journalists have had to experience or, or grapple with before simply by the nature of the medium and the weekly release of it and sort of the um, publishing while still in process aspect which again I think is both good but also problematic. Um, finally to wrap up my discussion about serial and similar podcasts which is really what this is about I would be entirely remiss if I did not talk about The Onion's A Very Fatal Murder which is a perfect, I think, six-episode parody of shows like Serial. Um, If you're at all interested in it, do yourself a favor and listen to The Onion's A Very Fatal Murder. You won't regret the time you spent. Uh, And meanwhile, more importantly, subscribe to serial. Um, I definitely unsubscribed during like the year between (laughs) season two and season three, maybe two years at this point. Uh, but the first two episodes are absolutely phenomenal. Well worth resubscribing and getting back into it.
1: I would like to talk about two books that I have just finished reading, um, almost one day after the next. Uh, they are both companion books to previous novels. Um, from the perspective of a secondary character who in the original novel was a secondary character and now gets their own chance to be the lead. Uh, The first book is called Leah on the Offbeat, which is by Becky Albertalli, and it's a follow-up to Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which was recently made into a movie that I have talked about several times here called Love, Simon. Um... Leah on the Offbeat is about Leah, who is Simon's best friend in Simon vs. the Hopesapiens Agenda. And it's it's about her internal life. So where Simon was about Simon's internal life, this one is about Leah. About her um, struggling with the fact that she is bisexual but hasn't come out to anyone. Uh, about how she is going to college next year and she's really bad with goodbyes. About how she has this huge deep crush on a girl who is dating one of her very good friends, um, and also uh, is someone she used to be friends with and doesn't really know how to get back to any kind of friendship with her. Uh, The other book is called Puddin'. It is a follow-up to Julie Murphy's Dumplin', which is a book that is about to become a movie on Netflix. Um, I'm very excited. I highly recommend it. Uh, Puddin' is told in alternating point of views from Millie, who is an overweight girl who came in runner-up in the small t- small Texas town that the books are set in, their beauty pageant. Uh, that's what happened in Dumplin'. She was the runner-up. It was amazing. Uh, and then this one is about kind of her... Her point of view of this one is about her follow-up year to that. And the other alternating chapters are told from Callie's point of view. Callie is a junior on the dance team. Dance has been her whole life, uh, and then, like, her whole high school life up until this point. Uh, And when the book starts, uh, the gym owned by uh, Millie's family is going through some financial difficulties, and they end up pulling their sponsorship for Callie's dance team. So in retaliation, the dance team vandalizes the gym, and Callie gets blamed for it. So to work off her debt, she goes to work at the gym, which is how she and Millie start to, their lives start to intersect. Uh, And then the book is about how they both get to become better people by being friends with each other. Uh, It's incredibly charming. I loved every page of it. I just finished it yesterday. Uh, The reason that I want to talk about these two books, uh, particularly in tandem, is because I'm fascinated by the... um, phenomenon of the unlikable female character. Um, I feel very strongly that in our pop culture landscape we allow men and boys to be unlikable without that damaging our understanding of the narrative and I don't necessarily think that we're that forgiving for female characters. Uh, Both Leah on the Offbeat and Puddin have a female character central to the plot. In Leah on the Offbeat it's Leah uh, and in Puddin it's Callie who for different reasons are it range from endearing to pretty unlikable uh Leah is prickly she is she can be unfriendly she says things without thinking them through um and also because the book is first person point of view and it's coming from inside her head you can tell that moments where she seems uh cold or unresponsive or inconsiderate are the byproduct of the fact that she thinks and feels so much that she sometimes gets paralyzed by not knowing what the right thing to do is and that can result in doing things instinctually that end up being very hurtful or in her in her quest to try to not hurt anybody's feelings uh, she ends up kind of by necessity uh, doing things that she thinks are for the best and end up, you know, not not being the best. Um, my big problem with Leah on the offbeat is not the fact that Leah does things that are uncomfortable or mean or bitchy or any of this. It's the fact that her there's a central conflict um she there's a boy in the book who clearly likes her, who they go back and forth. She has a little bit of like, well, you know, maybe this could work. Um, And that gets dropped real fast at the end. And I don't feel like she ever really has to resolve this situation. Like, I don't need, I didn't need everyone to be happy at the end. But I would have liked a resolution for that because I do think she treated him quite badly. And the difficulty I have is not how... She treated him because when we were teenagers, we all treated someone badly, probably particularly people that had crushes on us. Um, But it's just the fact that I didn't get to see any resolution uh, with this guy, and I felt like that kind of got shunted to the side for Leah's more central uh, attraction and crush. In Puddin', Callie is a person who will tell you like it is, even when that is mean (laughs) or... You know, she is the kind of person who takes pride in the fact that she is honest to a fault. And as we get to see that 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 gets her in trouble. I mean, she has moments in the book where she doesn't have any friends because she's burned all the bridges. And at the time she does that, she's like, well, you know, they deserve it. And maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I think there's an argument to be made about what in this book people bring upon themselves and what is kind of assigned to them. Uh, because somebody else thinks that it's appropriate. Um, but she she does a lot of reactive, she says and does a lot of reactive things and from sort of a high horse position that I don't think it's always earned. And it, it is interesting to think about both of these women uh, from the stance of, you know, how critical am I being of them? because they're girls and we sort of culturally expect girls to be more accommodating or more like do more emotional work um you know to to sort of acquiesce to the the men in their lives and i i keep i i hope i'm not coming at these characters from that kind of place because i really i do like both leah and callie I think Callie gets a little bit more leeway just because Julie Murphy, I think Julie Murphy is a less biting author than uh, than Becky Albertalli can be. So just her characters have sort of that Texas Southern charm uh, edge that um, Becky's, I, I don't know if they're... I don't remember where Simon has said it. It Might be in Ohio? I don't know. They're, they're a little more cynical than, um, Julie Murphy's characters. Um, but it was, it was just interesting to read two books side by side that had these, uh, central girl characters who were unapologetic in the fact that they do and say things that other people may not like. Uh, And I am just always in favor of more different kinds of girls, particularly in teen novels, because teen girls are all over the map, obviously. And, you know, having characters feel a range of things gives people a range of things to identify with. I also watched the second season of American Vandal recently, which grew on me. It's not as brilliant as the first season. Uh, but I realized about four episodes in that I had to take a break because all, almost all of those students are pretty unlikable, too. Um, you know, I, I just... I think what I'm trying to get at is that We need stories where teens are not bending themselves to what an adult expects them to be. Because teens can be selfish and short-sighted and narcissistic, and that's okay. I think it's more on adults to kind of figure out how to deal with that than it is for teens to smother their uh emotional reactions to things this has gone on for way too long um thank you all for listening we will be back with a regular episode soon bye
0: all right well uh i've had five book reports up to now and not a single one of them has been about music you didn't think you'd be getting away uh, without some sort of music discussion from me. And, Lo, I've saved, I don't want to say the best for last, but certainly the most on-brand for last, uh, as I'm talking about music. Um, had a couple different thoughts of where I wanted to go with this. I went to a live show about a month ago, Nico Case. Highly recommend seeing her live, if you're able to. Um, she's touring right now. Uh, but live music, well, good and important Um is something that many people have already experienced in various ways so I don't really want to dwell on how absolutely phenomenal live shows are even though they are. Um, instead I want to talk about collaboration in music and I'm going to use as my guidestone here an album uh, came out a month ago uh, called Big Red Machine by Big Red Machine. Um, Big Red Machine is a collaboration between Justin Vernon of Bon Iver and Aaron Desner of The National um, along with numerous other collaborators on it, it is very bon Iver-y. Um If you like B- uh, Bonavere sound, especially the new album, 20 to a Million, you will probably enjoy Big Red Machine. It's open and expansive and gauzy with uh, Justin Vernon's falsetto and sometimes auto tuned uh, voice the lyrics are very loose and impressionistic, let's say, Um, but it creates a very beautiful soundscape. Um, At this point, I'm probably going to insert a little bit of that music. Well, then you two came along with your safety in
1: port to bring me So that was
0: People Lullaby off Big Red Machine, a collaboration of Justin Vernon and uh, Aaron Desner, um, and it's a song I have been absolutely in love with the last few, um, let's call it, two weeks. However, this is just one case of collaboration between Justin Vernon and Aaron uh, and his twin brother Bryce uh, Desner. Um, they, the three of them co-founded a organization called People, um, all caps, which is sort of a, a new platform for artists to um, stream their music. It's uh, it's also a festival in Germany. They just had the People Fest um, in mid October or uh, sorry mid August, um, but it's it's very much like Justin Vernon and the Desners and their friends getting together, bringing their friends into the fold, um, to create a free. Streaming service that really puts artists first and really allows for vast experimentation in the music. I highly recommend signing up for People. Uh, it's p e o p l e.com. Um, kind of hard to find. You can also type in People Music or People Streaming. Um, that'll probably do it to get you there. I highly recommend signing up for it. It's free. They don't send a bunch of emails all the time and it lets you um, listen to a well-curated, very uh, indie-heavy, artist-friendly platform. Um, In addition, uh, Justin Vernon and the Desners uh, put on the Eau Claire Festival every year in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. A couple years ago it was huge, Chance the Rapper was there, etc. This past year they had a secret lineup, so they only told people when the festival was, not who was playing. because they're all about, like, hey, don't come for the big name, come for the experience, come for the show. And I think it's really cool that, um, like, the Desners are part of the National, a very popular indie band, Justin Vernon, Bonavere, very popular indie band, and they're able to do this collaboration on the side, as well as keep up with their main output. Um, this is happening all over the music industry right now, I think. Um, Chicago, I I can really only speak for Chicago and these indie outfits, but uh, Chicago, especially the hip-hop scene, is incredibly collaborative with everyone appearing on everyone else's album, and I think that that's just such an exciting place for music to be at. Um, Instead of, you know, sort of competition, it's more of a sense of the rising tide lifting all boats, Uh, and that's really what music should be. People hearing other people's work, thinking it's cool, getting involved in it. Um, So if you know, no matter where you are, take a look at your music scene, see what is going on, see if that collaboration is happening, see if there's collaborative space, even if you're not a musician yourself. Lord knows I am not a musician in any meaningful way. um, It's still really cool to see these creative people sort of taking charge and being, um, you know, being willing to work together, not just in their own sense and like pushing themselves forward, but also uh, raising everyone else up as well and putting musicians and uh musicianship sort of forward as as the goal rather than necessarily like obviously the commercial side making money is great uh but also just like putting out really good and interesting and innovative stuff is also important um so <laughs> this is my roundabout way of saying uh take a listen to Big Red Machine if you do like Bonavair um and that sort of like gauzy dreamscapey Northwood sort of feel um and uh take a look at people uh music streaming and take a look at just collaborative music in general if you're a musician collaborate with others i don't have to tell you what you're doing whatever do it yourself um but keep an eye out for that and and support it where you see it all right that's all the time we have for this short book report episode uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. You're listening to us right now, so you obviously know where to find us. But, as always, one of your homework assignments is to tell one of your friends about us and show them where you can find us. Uh, probably Apple Podcasts, let's be real. While you're there showing your friend, uh, go ahead and rate and review us. That's how we get more popular, more famous. Eventually, we can conquer the charts, but we need your help to do so. You can find us at our home on the web at homeworkpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook, Did You Do Your Homework? Just go search for that. And you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. We're always happy to take advice, suggestions, uh, ideas. If you want to be a guest on the show sometime in the winter, uh, we've got slots open. Drop us a line. You can find us on Twitter at DYDYH Podcast, where we'll be uh, blasting out the homework assignment for next week, um, as well as other topics, things that we find interesting, links to things that we're talking about, whatever, it's Twitter, you know how it works. Uh, You can find Martha on Twitter, Instagram, and across the internet at MagicalMartha, and you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000. We'll be back next week. Yes, actually seven days from now. Not two weeks like usual. With our first episode of the new semester. As I've mentioned before, we're going to be discussing America to Me, the documentary by Steve James about Oak Park River Forest High School. That is Martha and my alma mater. Um, we'll have Martha's husband Bill, who is also an alum of OPRF, on as our, in our third chair, uh, discussing both the documentary and our own lived experiences at OPRF. Uh, Martha and I were one year apart, uh, Bill was three years older than Martha, and he also worked there as a uh, teacher's aide at one point, so um, between the three of us, we have sort of a long time span about OPRF, but all of it predating the time of the documentary. Um, Personally, I'm about four episodes into the documentary so far, and I have to say it's really, really good, and I'm not just saying that because I'm getting a bunch of nostalgia as the camera lingers on the hallway where my locker was. Your homework is to watch as much of the documentary as you can, Uh, It's only available on S.T.A.R.S. at the moment, unfortunately. Um, It'll be a little bit more than halfway through its run when we discuss it, so obviously we're only going to discuss the episodes that have been released up to that point. In addition, we have two extra credit readings to do. Um, The first is an interview with Steve James by OPRF alum Abe Reisman for Vulture.com. The second is an episode-by-episode review and recap by another OPRF alum, Ali Barthwell, in Chicago Magazine. Uh, links to both of those are going to be in the show notes, and we'll probably blast them out over Twitter, which is one more reason to follow us, DYDYH Podcast. Um, you can also find them by just doing Google Foo, you know, looking up the names Avery's Vulture.com, Steve James, uh, Ali Barthwell, Chicago Magazine, America to Me. That'll probably get you there. So get ready for us in one week, and until then, Last dismissed.